It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to another episode of the PowerMizzou.com podcast, the podcast that stirred up a hornet's nest this morning. (laughs) Not exactly uh, on the podcast, but we will talk about that. Gabe DeArmond here. Mitchell Forty is next to me in Missouri at Tennessee in the best CBS SEC game ever. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's the best one this week, so they get the uh, they get the prime slot. So yeah, it is a uh, it's an interesting is the wrong word. It is a week in SEC football, and we're going to talk about that. But first of all, Mizzou fans, we want you to make your mark on the world while the Tigers do it on the field. All you have to do is switch your underwear to Mark Skid, the new eco-friendly underwear company started by one of you guys with a call to action of make your mark on the world. Mark Skid will donate $4 on your behalf to one of its four-star charities with the purchase of every pair of underwear from their website, markskid.com, M-A-R-C-S-K-I-D.com. Those charities are dedicated to save, feed, or cure the world. One pair of underwear provides safe drinking water to a person for seven years, feeds a child in the developing world for 12 days, or can vaccinate two children. So make your mark on the world this season at markskid.com. Use checkout code POWERMAZOO for 15% off of your first order and get free shipping anywhere in the United States. So we're going to talk Missouri, Tennessee, and to do that, we bring in... uh, we can still call him a uh, familiar name around Columbia, but eventually, like, you're not going to be familiar anymore. But Blake Topmeyer from the Knoxville News Sentinel now, what, two years removed from Columbia? Is that right? Yeah, about a year and a half. So miss it sometimes, but uh, join things mostly here in Knoxville. Um, it, real quick, before we get to the uh, less important stuff, speaking of enjoying Knoxville, is Jeremy Pruitt physically capable of smiling? Is that a thing? <laughs> uh I think he did it like one time recently. I can't remember. Uh, oh, I know what it was. Um, it was uh, during a commercial during his coach's show. I noticed he smiled, but I guess he was getting paid for that. So. <laughs> and he wasn't uh, actually on TV at that time talking to anyone. <laughs> yeah, apparently that's what it takes to make him smile is uh, get him on a paid commercial. <laughs> All right, well, we'll get to this game in just a minute, but I, I want to ask you first, as it, obviously somebody who's familiar with this program and now kind of more a 30,000-foot view of what's going on at Missouri. Uh, a little bit removed from it, what's what's kind of your outside view of, you know, what Barry Odom's done here in the season Missouri is having? I think mostly it's kind of followed script for me. I, I think if you I, – I had high expectations for Missouri this year, which I think a lot of people did, and I think that was fair uh, given what they brought back, especially offensively. But I kind of – I kind of thought nine wins was where I expected this team to be after the regular season. Uh, and I still think they can get to eight. Uh, you know, I thought, I thought South Carolina would be a little bit better than they are. So I think I was counting that one as a loss. I was counting Georgia and Alabama as a loss. And then, you know, I, I was counting Kentucky as a win, which that's the one where it should have been. I mean, we, we can, you can look back on that game in the rain at South Carolina and think about that one as the one that got away I don't know. I mean, the, the Kentucky one was really the one that got away. Uh, but really, overall, I, you know, I thought they'd be seven and three probably at this point. They're six and four, but they win back to back here and finish eight and four. I think that's that's fair. I, I think that's can still be viewed as a 
it's a decent season. You know, with with this crop of talent, they I think eight wins is probably about the minimum of what should be expected. But if they get to eight, I think that's fine. Moving on to uh, to the team you cover, Blake. Uh, Tennessee's been been somewhat interesting this season. You know, they they've gotten blown out a few times. Uh, West Virginia early in the season, even to you know a team like Florida, who's, who's maybe not the caliber of like you know Georgia and Alabama, where you expected the blowout. They uh, they struggled with Charlotte a couple weeks ago, but they also have a, a few really big upsets. They put the beat down on on both Auburn and Kentucky. What what's what's uh what's kind of the story of this team? What's different between the team that struggles with Charlotte and the team that that beats Kentucky? Yeah, this team can be hard to hard to figure out. You know, they beat Auburn, and and you think, wow, they they're, they're going to make something of this season, and they come out and um, you know lose to South Carolina, blow blow a chance at a, at a win there, and, and like you said, not play well against Charlotte. So, so I, and really, I guess to answer your question, I think the story of the team has been a little bit of inconsistency. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen that there is enough talent on this roster uh, where if they get everything to 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 fall in line on a particular Saturday. They can beat most of the teams in the SEC. You know, I mean, you take Georgia, Alabama, and maybe a couple other teams in the West that they don't face. I think they can probably beat anybody else on on a given day. But I think most of the SEC is is sort of that way this year. Is that you know on a, on a given day, um, you know they can most most of these SEC teams, teams can beat most of the others. Um, against Charlotte, I, I think that game was kind of. I, I think that almost should be tossed out. Uh, you know they were they were missing their their top running back in that game. Ty Chandler only played like two snaps. He was banged up from from the week before. Uh, Tennessee went up fourteen nothing, and then you know I really just think they they got pretty conservative, sort of shut it down. Never really felt any sense of urgency because they never Charlotte was never going to score. Uh, 17 points or more to to win that game. They just they weren't, and so it was ugly. It it uh, you know I think it caused some immediate concern, but it sort of reminded me of the 24 nothing win over UTEP uh, they had earlier in the season when you know there just wasn't a lot of urgency in, in that game, and I, I think that is can be traced to the players, but I think also the coaching staff. Just both those games. I think we're very vanilla and, and you see that sometimes. Um, but really this Kentucky game, I think is the best all around game they've played all year. Uh, and the other key was they jumped out to an early lead over Kentucky. And, uh, you know, we, we saw, did see Kentucky come back against Missouri, but by and large, that Kentucky team is not one built uh, to overcome double digit deficits. Yeah. Once, uh, once every, I don't know, 40 years or so, they're going to, going to do what they did here in Columbia. Um, what's the, what's the feeling on, on Pruitt in Knoxville? I mean, they're, they're clearly a better team than they were a year ago. He is like, it's easy to make fun of his demeanor, but not nearly as, as easy as it was to make fun of Butch Jones. Uh, you know, is the fan base pretty much all bought in? They are completely on board with this guy. Um, and, and I, I think the, there's a couple of reasons for that. And I think the biggest one is he is a 180 from Butch Jones. And the one way, well, one of the main ways I think you can get a fan base to immediately like you as a new coach is be the opposite of the yeah. guy they just fired. <laughs> and, and it's not hard. I mean, this isn't an act, I don't think, for Jeremy Pruitt. It comes naturally to him to be the opposite of Jeremy, or to be the opposite of Butch Jones, because that's what he is. You know, and 
I'm not one of those people that just kind of piles the criticism on Butch. I mean, he said a lot of stupid things over the years. There's no question about that. Um, I also think he does deserve credit for back-to-back nine-win seasons. Now, you could argue he under, underachieved in those two years, but he still assembled enough talent, um, and, and Tennessee did win nine games in back-to-back years, which you look at the past ne- decade, you know, that's nothing to sneeze at. So he had his high moments, but at the end, it was a disaster. And at the end, this fan base was totally tired of his cliches, his car salesman approach. They were done with that. Um, and then you got Pruitt who comes in, and he's kind of like a little mini Saban. Uh, and so he's all ball. He's not talking cliches. He's, uh, he doesn't want to entertain any questions that just aren't X's and O's football. Yeah, entertain um, is not in his vocabulary. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. And so I, I just think that he was the right guy at the right time to be kind of widely accepted. Now, I also think if you would go back to the beginning of the Butch Jones tenure, a lot of the people that Tennessee fans that can't stand Butch now probably were eating it all up at the beginning. (laughs) And so long-term, I think whether Pruitt is well-liked here is no different than most places across the country. It comes down to whether you win games or not. Blake, kind of in in, uh, research in Tennessee and looking ahead to this matchup, I've I've been kind of – uh, intrigued by by what I've seen of of Jarrett Guarantano, the the quarterback there at Tennessee. Like I hadn't heard a whole lot about him. You know, I hadn't watched a lot of Tennessee play this year. His numbers aren't aren't very good, or at least not nothing crazy. But he's been efficient. He only has two interceptions, and his like pro football focus rating is through the roof. Um, what what's kind of been the story of him with him? What are kind of his his strengths and weaknesses? He's been kind of sneaky good this year, and. and uh... You know, Mike Leach would hate this because he hates that uh, quarterback rating or passer efficiency, whatever the stats called yeah. in college. He, he hates that stat. You know, you guys probably remember he went on a little rant against that a couple <laughs> weeks ago. Says no one understands it. The fact <laughs> is, the stat exists. It incorporates like a lot of different passing categories. And if you look at quarterback ratings in the SEC, Garantano's top five, mm-hmm. and it's because he doesn't throw many interceptions, like you said. Uh, he's efficient. He uh, he, he throws a decent deep ball and he's just kind of steady. He's not flashy. Um, he's not going to make a lot of plays with his feet. He came here as someone dubbed as a dual threat guy. I don't, I, I don't consider him a dual threat guy at all, but he just makes mostly good decisions and he can beat you downfield a few times a game. If he gets pass protection, really the biggest issue with Tennessee's pass game this year I think has nothing to do with Garantano. It's it's the offensive line. I mean, there are some games, and the Florida game comes to mind, the Alabama game comes to mind, where he was just a pinata back there and just getting drilled pass after pass. And even though he doesn't only has two interceptions, he has lost a few fumbles uh, when he's when he's getting knocked around back there. And I think that affects him as a passer too. I, I think we've seen a couple games this year where maybe he's gotten a little gun shy. Uh, not willing to let plays develop as long as they should. And I kind of get it because there's been too many times where he's just been under constant duress. So eventually that factors in. You just want to get rid of the football. Um, but by and large, I think he's been good enough to win in, I'd say, probably every game this year except maybe Florida, Alabama, and Georgia. And and those, not coincidentally, were Tennessee's worst three games. <laughs> the uh, the other side of the ball, I mean, the last two years against Tennessee, Missouri had 720 yards in Knoxville. Now they got blown out because that was a 
a weird game where Missouri was probably the most inept defense I've maybe <laughs> ever seen in major college football that night. But then last year they scored 50. Um, that's got to be the biggest difference in this team, right? I mean, Daryl Taylor had four sacks last week, and they appear to actually be capable of playing some defense. Yeah, they are. And, and I think that was sort of the expectation uh, when hiring Pruitt was to make some immediate gains defensively. And, uh, you know, last year they – they had a few decent defensive performances sprinkled in, but it was like any time they faced even a semi-competent offense, uh, it, it was not going to go well. And, and, and to some degree, I still think that's been the case this year, but they've done a lot better job of just keeping them in games. Uh, you know, they've done their best work against you know, three really lousy non-conference opponents and then Kentucky, which – as we all know, is pretty offensively limited. And so, you know, I think the stats are a little bit padded by those games, but they've also, I mean, they were good. The defense was good enough to keep them in the game uh, against Auburn, you know, whereas maybe last year, that's the type of game where maybe they wouldn't have been good enough to win. And I think the front seven of this group is finally starting to come together a little bit. There, there's a lot of there's not a lot of veterans on this team by and large. There's really no seniors play on offense, uh, but where where you see the seniors on this team is in the front seven. There's three starters on the defensive line are all seniors, um, and then they got a few upperclassmen in that linebacking group, and and a couple more upperclassmen in the secondary. But the front seven, I think, is where you really are starting to see finally some things falling in place. Uh, for for a bunch of veterans who are who are pretty highly touted when they came out of high school and and by and large probably haven't lived up to their recruiting rankings, but here in the last stages of their career, uh, we're starting to see some of that come together. I think about guys like Kyle Phillips on the defensive lines playing his best best football of his life. Uh, Daryl Taylor, the hybrid outside linebacker, defensive end. We saw what he could do last week with the with the four sacks. And so those are the types of guys that where you're starting to see things fall in place for them in the latter stages of their career. Sticking on the defensive side of the ball, Blake, I know uh, I've seen throughout the week uh, injury or word that, that Bryce Thompson, the best cornerback for Tennessee, got hurt last week against Kentucky. Uh, do you know, do you have an update uh, or any idea on the chances that he plays on Saturday and, and what, what would the, his loss mean for Tennessee? Yeah, Pruitt said on Wednesday night he should be ready to go. Of course, as we know, coaches lost. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> ready to go every week. So. Yeah. Um, I could tell you in practice, he's been out there with a helmet on on the field. That's something you wouldn't see if he was still concussed, ruled out. Right. But he hasn't been doing everything on the practice field. So I would probably put him under the questionable category. And and he's he's a freshman who's who's been – really pretty solid for Tennessee this year, by and large. They got another freshman cornerback, uh, Alante Taylor, too. So those guys are going to be thrown into the fire against uh, Drew Locke. And, um, you know, I mean, they've gone up against uh, Will Greer and, and uh, Tua earlier this season and got picked apart. So we'll see if third time around they can do a little bit better. But if Thompson's not out there, probably Marquell Osborne, he actually <laughs> had an unbelievable fourth quarter after he replaced um, – Thompson last week against Kentucky intercepted two passes, broke up another one and wound up on that pro football focus defense of the week. Um, so I think he's a guy with some talent. He just sort of, I think forgets what to do sometimes. <laughs> like if, if he executes his assignment, he's got enough talent uh, you know, to be a decent player. It's just, uh, you know, getting him to do what he's, 
supposed to do, but he would be the guy if, if Thompson can't go. Last one for me specifically on this game. Again, Blake Topmeyer at the Knoxville News Sentinel. Uh, just kind of quick hit. Each team wins this game if what happens? I think for Tennessee, they have to take away something from Missouri's offense. You mentioned, Gabe, the last couple of years, uh, Tennessee, or Missouri's offense has kind of done whatever it wanted uh, against Tennessee. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk in, out of Tennessee's camp this week about just how balanced and uh, well-rounded Missouri's offense is. Now, I know some of Missouri's stats are kind of padded by other games against inferior competition, but I do think when you look around the SEC, um, Missouri has one of the more balanced offenses in the league. So I think for, for Tennessee to win, it's going to have to take away one facet of that offense. Uh, for Missouri, I think if they can fluster Garantano, get some pass rush on him, take advantage of that little bit shaky Tennessee offensive line, I think that could be an area where uh, Missouri can have some su- success and, and could sort of be a difference in this game is is by re- wreaking some havoc there up front. Well, yeah, good, good news for, for Tennessee fans. Uh, Missouri's pass rush has, has done nothing of that this season. That has been a major <laughs> weakness. Uh, real quick, Blake, last thing. Just uh, I know you know Knoxville's uh, an every-other-year destination for Mizzou fans, so some of them probably uh, somewhat familiar with it. But uh, give us uh, give us a couple places that, uh, that fans might look to eat and a couple places they can maybe grab a beverage Friday night. Yeah, uh, good question. Uh, There's like three downtown, like little boroughs in Knoxville, Market Square, Gay Street, and the Old City. If you want to get rowdy, end up in the Old City. Uh, That's where kind of the the rowdiness happens. The bars are open later. Uh, If you want to go to the Old City and not get so rowdy, go to Jig and Reel. I like that place. Uh, That's a good place for a drink. Old City Wine Bar, uh, also in Old City. They have more than just wine. Uh, That's another good place. And if you want to feel classy, uh, go to the Peter Kern Library uh, for a drink. That's right off of uh, Market Square. It's a speakeasy. Uh, won't totally break the bank. Uh, you can get you a, a drink for about ten bucks. It's a place to pop in, have one drink. Kind of cool to see. Uh, for food, I think you got to go to Market Square. A lot of people would say Stock and Barrel. That's kind of a neat experience for a burger. But for me, uh, I really like Amelia, which is an Italian joint, and then uh, Oliver Royale. Is another place on Market Square that I really enjoy. But you really, if you wind up on Market Square, there's so many good options. Uh, you can't go wrong for for food there. That was really our slick way of asking where you're buying the Missouri Media Contingent <laughs> drinks on Friday night, and we have uh, ruled yeah. out the rowdy place and the classy place. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to try to keep it somewhere in the middle. Uh, yeah, I, if I go to Old City. I stay away from the rowdy places. And so, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe Jig and Reel will be where we end up. I was there a couple of weeks ago. So, All right. Well, Blake, we'll see you on Friday and uh, and definitely talk to you then. Uh, thanks, man. Thanks, Blake. Yeah, sounds good. All right, Blake Topmeyer, Knoxville News Sentinel. Again, he covered Mizzou for a couple seasons here, including Barry Odom's first year, and then, uh, then went to Knoxville. So it just kind of quick wrap up this game. Like, I don't know. I don't think it's quite a coin toss game. Like, I think Missouri's a better team. If Missouri plays well, they're going to win. If they go in and play an A, maybe even a B game, they win this game. But if they play what they played last week, Tennessee's good enough to beat them. Yeah, like Blake said, you know, 
Missouri's in the and Tennessee are both in that category of the SEC where anyone can beat anyone else in a, in, on a given day. And uh, I think I think Missouri, if they play well offensively, I don't think Tennessee can score with them. I, I think you know Garantano's been fine this year, but Tennessee is offensively has not been great. So if Missouri you know goes out and executes and you know kind of gets its its run and passing game both going, I don't think Tennessee can score enough points. But I mean, you know who knows? It, it just takes one or two uh, funky plays to to throw it all you know well and this is the game listening to blake talk about their offensive line let me see terry beckner go wreck an offense yeah let me see what terry beckner the upside of what we think he can be and he's been sometimes but certainly not consistently right yeah i mean he he, he makes you know it seems like he has one play a game where he just he gets in the backfield super fast and he'll He'll get a sack or he'll blow up a handoff or whatever. But it, I don't think I think that's the key is the consistency. Uh, you know, he, he he'll make that one big play, but then he'll disappear for stretches. And and you know, Missouri does have other good defensive tackles for sure. So you know, it's not like it's it's all on his shoulders. You know, Walter Palmore's been really good. Jordan Elliott had a good week last week. But but yeah, I mean, that group should be probably the biggest advantage for Mizzou when when Tennessee has the ball. All right, so let's stay on football. We'll, we'll talk basketball for a couple minutes at the end. Um, let's stay on football and just kind of a, a lot of people based on our message board and my Twitter mentions today have read what I wrote this morning, which basically boiled down to I have no idea if Barry Odom is the long-term answer. Like, I, I don't know how good he's going to be next year or in four years, but it is my opinion Missouri's at a point now you really only have two choices. Either you start over or you make a commitment and indicate to people he is the right guy, even if you don't believe it. Like Missouri's, they got to make a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, uh, I I understand to where a lot of the people are coming from who are who are maybe confused or, or disagree because you know this is an athletic department that is operating in a deficit. They don't have money to right. to just throw around. So just if you will, just explain kind of. To, for people who don't maybe understand why this works, why it's such a big deal to have your coach under a contract that, you know, shows that you think he's going to be the guy for a while. Right. And, and I don't really care if Barry Odom makes $2.3 million. I mean, it's by far the lowest in the SEC. Yep. Um, I think he's the only guy. There might be one other guy under $3 million. I think Derek Mason is under $3 million. But, like, I don't care what his paycheck reads every month. That doesn't really matter to me. What I'm more talking about is, to fire Barry Odom, it would cost Missouri $1.9 million. Every other school in the league, it would cost them at least $5.2 million to get rid of their coach, at least the uh, 10 that I could find numbers for. And basically, by doing that, what you're saying is, we want a safety net because we think we might have to fire him next mm-hmm. year. And if you go and you raise that buyout, I mean, just double it to $3.8 million. It's still by far the lowest in the league, but if you double it, what you're doing is telling people, we, we're not worried. We don't think we're going to have to fire this guy. And mm-hmm. guess what? If you do have to fire him, then it's going to cost you $3.8 million. And if you're worried about $3.8 million, you're in the wrong league. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and and it, no recruit looks at it and says, well, the coach's buyout's only $1.9 million. I'm not going there. That's not my point. But other coaches use things like this on the recruiting trail. I, I promise it is brought up to kids in living rooms. Look, Missouri doesn't even believe in its own guy. They don't think he's going to be there. You don't want to go there because he's not going to be your coach. So I think it's a factor. And, you know, I I just, again, this isn't about Barry Odom. This is, to me, about Missouri deciding do they want to be in this league. The other factor people bring up, and it's fair, is the attendance. Mm -hmm. Like, how big a factor is that? But what other than win games, what can Missouri do to change that? Right. You know, the the – 
it say for you want to you do want to you know start decide to I I want to go in all in on football, but Barry Adams not that guy. Right. Who do you hire that is going to all of a sudden put you know sixty five thousand people right. in the stands here? And I uh, you know I don't know realistically who that answer is. It, so yeah, I mean, you know, we we've talked about this before, but like. Barry Odom is is him him succeeding and him being the guy here long term is the best thing for yeah. this program. You know he's not he's less likely than a lot of lot of anyone else you would hire right now probably to to go and and you know take another job at a, at a big time school because he went here and they gave him his first head coaching opportunity and he's already started building it. You know you fire him it's a risky proposition and then you've got another few years of rebuild. So I don't know. I mean obviously things change if Missouri loses one or both of its last two regular season games. But, but if Barry Odom gets to eight wins, I think, I think I agree. You have to, you know, show him that, that you think he's the guy. And I include a bowl game in those eight wins, yeah. like win two more and, and eight and five. And there you go. But so you bring up an interesting thing, you know, he's less likely to leave than a lot of guys. And he is certainly less likely to leave than a lot of coaches at Missouri, but let's just throw out a, a scenario. Let's say you give him another kick the can down the road one year, you know, give a couple assistants a few hundred thousand dollars, that kind of extension that basically says, yeah, you can stick around, but you still got to prove something to us. Let's say he does it. Let's say he goes out and gets Kelly Bryant and goes nine and three next year. And then a job comes open and somebody comes and offers him $3.4 million. You think the fact that he's had two straight off seasons of, no, we don't really believe in you, isn't like, oh yeah, he's less likely to leave. But it's not impossible he leaves. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, like like you said, I mean, the, the extension last year was, it, yes, it's for recruiting purposes and they had to do it, but that is isn't was in no way a vote of confidence from no. the athletic director in Barry Odom. And, and yeah, you, you, I mean, of course, and, it's and natural. And I understood it then. I yeah. thought it was the right move. But it's natural, of course, for, I mean, you know, even if Barry Odom, you know, of course, he loves university, yada, yada, but it's very natural to think, you know, hold that in the back of your mind and think, man, you know, if. If something else does come open, I, I want to make sure that, that this right. athletic director believes in me. So let me, and I think, I want to say first, before this, I think this is incredibly unlikely. Mm-hmm. But let's say, you know, they finish the regular season eight and four, whatever. And Jeff Brom tells Louisville no. And so Louisville's looking for somebody. And they come offer him 2.8. I don't know, man. I don't think it's impossible. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, like you said, and, and probably I don't think it's unlikely happen. that, I don't know, yeah, that he, he would be on their list of candidates, et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah, I mean, I, it would be interesting. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You, you just have to kind of – I think when you're doing a contract extension or not, those mm-hmm. are things that have to factor in. Yeah. No, yeah, the, the whole point is, I mean, you know, is, is that you need to do something to, to show, you know, at, at this point, three years in, he's, he, assuming they don't, you know – really uh, choke down the stretch here. He, he takes this tangible step forward that we said we all wanted to see. You need to do something to, to say, okay, you did your part. Here's here's ours. And we can agree. They're clearly better than they were last year. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, you know, the, those two losses were painful. But right. but when you're two plays away from, from a potential 10-win year, that's that's pretty impressive after, going, after winning four games two years ago. And the main argument I'm getting is, yeah, we might be 8-4, and four, but we should be 10-2, and two, so that's why I'm not paying him. If he's the guy that got you to where you should be ten and two, that has to count for something. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's that. No one would have seen. You know, I guess people, I I shouldn't say no one would have seen that coming. But after the season two years ago when they won four right. games, I mean, that would be you. I think a lot of fans would be very happy if you told them that would be the case. And it's all young guys. A, a lot of young guys. It's not all young guys, mm-hmm. but it's a lot of young guys. It's and again, they're 
they're one call from being better than Kentucky right now mm-hmm. and from maybe being nine and three. So I think these are all things you think about. And then the last last thing on this, you mentioned the the money and how they don't have very much of it right now. So here's the main thing. Okay, so you don't have very much money. So you're going to pay Barry Odom $1.9 million to go away, and then you're going to go hire somebody else for more than he makes? Yeah. It's not going to happen. Right. Right. Yeah, no, it's still it's still cheaper to, to offer him an extension. And yeah, I don't know. I just think, I think, uh, you know, I think I think it's natural to to kind of say, you know, oh, I don't know, and and then you know, people said that last year, like you said, we get it, and they they do it again. Oh, I don't know. Let's see what he does with a different quarterback. But like, what's to say that you're not going to do that again next year if he takes wins one more game and wins nine yeah. games? Oh, I don't know. He needs. We need to see him win ten. At a certain point, you know, if you're Missouri in this league, you you've got to be uh, you've got to reward in an eight win season, and you've got to take a chance. Yeah. Um, you know, no question. So, all right, let's finish up the. Um, well, we are here and watching the snow melt. The Missouri basketball <laughs> team is in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Yeah, that's unfair. Um, yeah, I really, I really would have liked to have covered that, but it's such a terrible field <laughs> that, like, I just couldn't, I couldn't justify spending money to go. Like, I, really, this the field's so bad that I know they would play Oregon State or Old Dominion in round two. But if they lose that game, I don't even know who they play. I can't oh. even name all eight teams in this tournament. I can name about three of them. I know they play Kennesaw State. And right. speaking of the you know financial commitment of, uh, of of sending one of us to the Virgin Islands, I'm not even sure we'll be willing to spend the twenty dollars for Flow Hoops to watch that game. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll be we'll be in an airplane, so <laughs> oh, we won't right. have the choice. But yes, quickly, if you want to watch, go to Flow Hoops, F L O Hoops dot com. From there, I don't know. I haven't done it. I'm sure you can find it. Go to Flow Hoops and and search Missouri or search uh, Paradise Jam. Um, but like, I look at this. To me, success is winning the first two games. Yeah. Right. I would think so. I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't team... know anything about Oregon State or Old Dominion, but <laughs> yeah, I that's... feel like Missouri should be able to beat one of them. Yeah, I, I I truly don't know either. I think Oregon State was pretty bad last year, but I really yeah they don't were know. actually the one of the few Power Five teams, maybe the only one that was clearly as bad as Missouri, if not worse. Yeah. No. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think success would be winning two games, and also, I mean, just you know, seeing someone score. <laughs> I mean, it's not like I'm not trying to be you know funny, but like uh, the 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 biggest thing against Iowa State, my takeaway is you know obviously you're not going to win when you when you have 25 turnovers. That's never going to happen. They're not going to beat anyone when they do that. But the, the offense just at times looked so stagnant, and, and the more the crowd, you know, there kind of got into it, the more just it looked like I just look, looking, I was on the baseline, you know, right, and looking at the players' faces, it was like everyone looked looked scared, like they didn't know what to do. Like, mm-hmm. who do we give the ball to? They, it was just a lot of dribbling, a lot of standing, and, and that led to some some of the turnovers where people would, you know, late in the shot clock try to force something. And, and I think, I don't know, obviously – that this team was going to have some growing pains, especially, you know, replacing Jonte Porter as late in the preseason as they had to. But I think that's, you know, as much as a, a record in this tournament, you want to see, you want to see someone, you know, maybe assert himself and, and be a guy who, who they can turn to in a, in a time when they need a bucket. So you were there. I wasn't. Um, if Jeremiah Tillman plays the way he did at Iowa state, can this team beat anybody good? Not anyone good. I don't think so. I mean, he had a really good matchup in in Iowa State. I mean, they they have one dude who was six nine, and then other than that, I don't think their tallest guy who was playing who was active was like more than six seven. So you know, you expected it to be to be a big night for him. But we've seen this issue with him before. You know, he 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 can just kind of get taken out of the game, and and it was weird. Like, you know, he doesn't he doesn't get a few uh, a few early looks or whatever. He misses some shots, and then like it was just like even these little things that you would never expect to go wrong go wrong. Like he misses a wide open dunk. He has like. 
a few different rebounds bounce off of his fingertips. So I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that this is the exact same issue he had last year where he totally like loses his aggressiveness if, if he's trying not to foul, but it, but yes, I mean, the result was still, he only took five shots and he really wasn't a big factor and, and they just don't have anyone else, you know, who, who can score consistently enough to carry the offense if that happens. Yeah. So it's, it, it is Friday afternoon at some point, again, we'll be in the air to Knoxville uh, against Kennesaw state um, Saturday against presumably the winner look if they lose to Kennesaw State we got some issues on our hands here yeah uh, so presumably the winner of Oregon State in Old Dominion and then if they were to win that game in all likelihood it would be Kansas State in the title game and, and I think that's the goal because at least playing Kansas State like does something for your strength to schedule it gives you a good power five team they're a top 25 team to kind of say okay how far do we have to go nobody mm-hmm. else in that in this field provides that yeah no you're absolutely right so, yeah, that's what we got. Um, we will be at Neyland Stadium on Saturday afternoon and then short week next week. We don't yet know if we're going to have a podcast. You guys may have heard Thursday is Thanksgiving. I will be uh, eating and drinking a lot on Thursday, so I will not be in here to do the podcast. I'll be driving. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and then Friday afternoon, one thirty, the regular season finale against Arkansas. End of the season is only eight days away, and uh, that's, that's, that's okay. Yeah, kind of wild, but kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that, and we're going to know a lot more about where things stand and and where we might be headed the week after Christmas, eight days from now. So thanks for listening, and um, at some point we'll update you guys if we're going to get back here next week. If not, we will be back here in two weeks, wrap up the regular season, look forward to Bragging Rights, SEC basketball, and bowl games. So uh, thanks for listening, and one more reminder on the way out, Go to markskid.com, M-A-R-C-S-K-I-D.com. Markskid is the new eco-friendly underwear company started and run by a Missouri fan. Every pair of underwear you buy, they will donate $4 to one of their four-star charities. And uh, you can you can pick which charity you want that to go to. Use the checkout code POWERMAZOO for 15% off of your first order and free shipping in the United States. Uh, So you guys do that, and we're going to ship off to Knoxville. Talk to you later.